Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Games Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. Hey, and this is Anthony. And this is episode 459, The Dreaded Burn. We'd like to thank all our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, friends, we're back. And let's just say it's been the best of times, which was our last episode. And now, in fact, it's the worst of times. Our dreaded burn category. Rare, but it does happen that we burn games because they're just that bad, Anthony. Just that bad. We hate them that much. We do. Yeah, these are people. People often reach out to us like, you guys never burn anything. You say you have a burn category. You don't (laughs) burn anything. And here's the thing about board game podcasts. Do it. We say it. We like playing board games. So if a game is really bad, I don't want to play it. And if I think. And if I start to play a bad game, sometimes I stop playing it or I don't play it two. again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and if I've only played it once and I hated it, it's it's hard for me to be, go then on the podcast and burn it unless I real feel really confident that it is, in fact, that bad. So there have been a bunch that have, in fact, been burned. We have 20 games for you today between the two of us. Yes. That we have burned or very close to burned and now in retrospect with more plays have burned. Yes. <laughs> um, and that we are perfectly happy to share with you as being 
our least favorite games. So yes. um, they do exist, friends. They do exist. Yeah. And there's a lot of games that are toasty. They're just they're just on that edge. There's a so. lot of those actually. I was surprised how many like like oh I haven't burned very many in in, our, in the ten years, but I put a lot on the very low end of dodge. So you are far kinder than I am. I I I, I take it personally. I'm like this is a bad game, and that person should feel bad about publishing it because it's it's a bad game. So <laughs> maybe it's the artist in me is like, well, you know, they tried. Ah. <laughs> No, we, we appreciate the efforts. We appreciate the product. We appreciate the craftsmanship that goes into all of it. But sometimes, in fact, those games do need to be, you know, recycled. Let's say that, right? Let's... Oh, yeah. These are terrible. We're going to yeah. talk about some terrible games today. And a couple <laughs> that aren't generally considered terrible, but that I think are terrible. So. There absolutely are. So, yeah, I think, yeah, for, for sure, I've toasted plenty. So yep. before we get into all that fun stuff, there's been a little bit of news, a little bit of craziness, a little bit happenings, some good, some bad. Again, this is that episode where we talk about the good, bad kind of stuff. Uh, Anthony, there's a there's a little bit of game company that we used to, uh, you know, review some of their games, speaking of which. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about Prospero Hall now. Yes, we are. Funko. Yeah, I know. It's sad. It is. So. I think Funko was running into some problems, so ergo... Everyone gets tossed off the boat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So here's the thing: like this has been happening for, well, it happen- it's been happening across the entire economy now for about the last year. Yeah, and specifically, it's been happening a lot in the video game industry, where despite record profits it's and amazing true. sales, they've been laying off thousands or even tens of thousands of people, and it's gross and terrible because it's these <laughs> companies being like infinite growth. Therefore, let's cut staff. Yeah. You know? Hey, we could cut CEO pay. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm only one person. What's that going to do? Let's cut these thousand people. That's about yeah. the same amount of money. Sure. Um, so Funko Games, uh, part of Funko Pop, whatever, whatever their full company name is, uh, which is pretty much as Prospero Hall, which Funko picked up, what, like six years ago, seven years ago? Mm-hmm. And you probably know them for all of their licensed games that they release into like targets and walmarts and like the big box stores and stuff like so, like games like jaws or back to the future or the little funko verse games um they were sold or the the rights to the games and their portfolio were sold to goliath which doesn't make a ton of hobby stuff i think they're best known for making like rummy cube right mm-hmm. exactly and and that's a privately owned company whereas funko is a publicly traded company mm-hmm. um and in the process of, of that sale, which is often what happens when they, when this happens, is a lot of people lost their jobs. Yeah. So it's terrible. Um, it's the way our economy is structured, and it is awful, and I don't like it. So um feel really bad for those people who lost their jobs. They've done amazing work. They've made some really incredible games. They've made a lot of things more accessible to a broader public. Yes. Um, and now I don't know if we're going to get any new stuff from them or if Goliath's just going to release the stuff that makes money. Sure. As, you know, as Asmodee has done. They, like, go in, they gut a company, they take the games that are good, and the rest dies. So, it's sad. Yeah, I mean, again, I think it's particularly sad because the the board game industry, which we love, because we love... The reason why we love it is because of the of the amazing designs, craftsmanship, artistry, artisans that are kind of involved in all this the math, the science, everything that goes involved in, in board games. And especially very early on, we used to talk about these games, just their designer board games, right? 
the idea that these games come out from a either an individual or a, or a select few people, and they're always innovating all the time. And now they've done so well with their with the games that they've become a commodity. And when things become commoditized to that point, where it's just like it's it's a widget, and we can just monopolize it, right? Where it's just monopoly this and monopoly that, monopoly just. And it just loses all meaning and it loses all of the specialness that came from these designer games. And as you said, Prospice Hall had, had done a, a really good job. I mean, I, I think above and beyond expectations because their game should have been just, you know, schlock, right? It should have just been like, oh, here's another IP that we slapped on for a roll and move. They actually produced pretty decent games, especially for the public. Yeah. and. Brought them in, you know, brought the public on some mechanics that they probably had never seen before. Yeah, it's it's a real, I don't know, it's, like I said at the top of the show, like, as, as someone who still likes to think of themselves as an artist in some ways, it is frustrating to see the commodification of that art lead to the end-stage capitalism yeah. result, which is what happens in all industries. Yeah. When Asmodee started buying all these companies, like, Eight years ago, we're like, this is where it's going to go. Everybody's yes. going to lose their jobs yep. because that's what happens. You buy everything up, you suck out the value, and you let everything else go. Sure. And that's what we're seeing. Not exactly in this case, but that pretty much, right? And it's it's terrible, you know? Um, so I feel, feel for all the people who lost their jobs and also just for people in the industry in general because we're going to get less games, period. Like, yeah. I, if, if those people are laid off, they're not making games. And, you know, hopefully the outcome is maybe they go somewhere else and make great games or they go on Kickstarter and make great games. But at the moment, it's just less creativity in the field. 100%. Pretty sad. Well, some other kind of weird shenanigans happen out there. Uh, votes for Women, um, board game that's currently on Kickstarter. At the time of the recording, you probably have about, I don't know, five or so days to actually jump and pick it up. It's the second printing. Uh, Anthony, you've you've seen this game or heard about this game? Yeah, I have a copy of it. I there you um, go. I, I picked it up last year uh, when all the buzz was going around, and it's an incredible production, by the way. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not just like here's a historical take on this of uh, women's suffrage, um, which is very well done in terms of the game, but like it comes with like replicas of newspapers and history guides and cards have so much information on them. It's really really cool. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a great production, and it's like it, as an educator, I look at this game. I'm like, man, I could use this in so many cool ways. <laughs> so, yeah, very good thematically. Great production, great gameplay. The downside is because it's votes for women. When they try to they try to put it out there on social media about their new Kickstarter that was up there on Facebook, Facebook took their ads down because yeah. it was seen as a because the algorithm picked it up as being like voting propaganda. Right, yeah, which I've had happen to me before a few times. Um, like, especially during the pandemic, I was working with a client who they made software that helped you keep track of people coming and going and whether they were sick or not. And then, like, you you know, take their temperature or whatever. Um, and those ads got taken down constantly. And it didn't make any sense because it's not what they were meant to take down. The algorithm's terrible. I'm not defending Meta at all. I'm not saying, that. oh, this is all automated. It's not their fault. What I'm saying is, it's a bad system that hurts people. And in this case, it directly hurt people who are trying to grow their Kickstarter campaign. They didn't get access to that audience. 
Yeah. No, it's it's unfortunate, especially with the 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 time sensitivity of their campaign and trying to get more people um, to jump in. But obviously it also shows that the system's kind of problematic. And obviously that game is talking about something that was very problematic. And I guess in some ways still kind of is as, as far as, you know, voters, disen, you know, disenfranchisement. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, surprising, you know, it's like, like back in the day when they had Fahrenheit 451, was kind of pulled from all the sh- from all the online shops where people had like copies that they had quote unquote bought slash rent or subscribe to, and also they were pulled off the shelves. So yeah, odds. I, I don't know. It's weird. So <laughs> yeah, you you'd think, especially with manual review, because if you do get dinged on Facebook, yeah. again, I've dealt with this. All you do is say you raise your hand and say, "Hey, the algorithm got it wrong. Can you take a look?" And theoretically, a human being should look at that and be like, "Oh yeah." yeah you're fine and then they let you go which is typically how it worked for me in this case it's not how it worked for them they didn't get the go ahead people are like no it's still election related i'm like this is about elections from over 100 years ago yeah like, this is not like what are you doing it's true well on the good side there is some a little bit of good news hopefully you've already heard it uh dungeons and dragons will be releasing a line of stamps uh Ooh. through the united postal service legitimate stamps uh, marking the 50th anniversary. So D&D is, is this year 50 years old. That's pretty cool. I have to pick some of those up um, and then put them somewhere and hope nobody uses them, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, again, we're we're collectors. We The artwork here is fantastic. It's all classic uh, D&D kind of stuff. Many things you know, many characters, many beasts that you know. So it's nice to see that, I guess, the American invention of Dungeons and Dragons, which I think is more or less, we're going to say, an American invention. I know it comes, you know, some of the material comes from abroad, but Dungeons and Dragons, uh, amazing, 50 years, definitely pick up the stamps at some point this year. I don't think they have announced a date as of as of yet, uh, but there's 10 stamps coming out. They look very cool. Uh, definitely pick these up. I'm going to put these in a frame or do something with them. Like you yeah. said, Anthony, this way they don't get mailed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. This What's going to happen here, though, is the post office, which I'm sure is used to stamp collectors being crazy, yeah. are going to deal with a whole different kind of crazy. Oh, yeah. Because you're going to get the, the nerds who don't normally come in for the stamps being like, um, stamps, please. Stamps. And Can I? <laughs> plus, plus the stamp people. So it's just, if you work at the post office, be ready. Yeah. It's coming. It's like, I need one set just to put in a frame one set to be graded one set to go out on literally everything i mail from now on for the rest of my life (laughs) (laughs) right yeah you'll i'm sure you'll see these on ebay as well pretty soon so yeah Yeah. there's some good stuff there as well so all right i think that's all the good and bad that's happening out there in the industry let's uh talk about your upcoming patreon episode ah yes so i have come to the very end of my top 100 deep dive i'm finishing it up i'm I'm supposed to finish it up today that we're recording this it should be up by the time you listen to this episode Mm -hmm. um if it if it's not it's because of snow let's blame the snow (laughs) Uh, but it is 15 through one i'm running through the top the the remainder of my top 100 and i'm going to talk about some other games that have probably made it onto the top 100 but i haven't officially updated yet so there's like five or six games that came out in the last year and a half that will probably be on the list next time I do the list. At the end of the year. 
Ah, it's a little sneak preview for you. Very um, cool. Probably also get an extra bonus sometime the next week. I made my own top 10 for the year, which I do every year. Um, I wrote an article I'm going to post on the website in the next few days, but I'll probably just record a quick read through walkthrough of that if you want to listen to it instead of reading. it. Excellent. So if you want to find that or many other things, BoardGamersAnonymous.com is our website, it has connections to all our fun things and Anthony's great work on the website. So check it out because you're going to be surprised of all the good content there, including Patreon.com slash BGA. Uh, a lot of great content that we put out each and every week. Join the community, support the podcast, and help us get more gaming goodness out to everyone out there. Again, as always, social medias are out there, question of the week, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, we're really bit, really glad to be back here in 2024 and bringing you more gaming goodness. So, Anthony, with all of that gaming goodness out there, what's your acquisition disorder for this week? All right. Yeah, so my acquisition disorder, and I had to dig a little bit just because we did our big preview episode for the year. We and did. then I was like, and it's January, so I'm like, what is actually coming out? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Um, but there's a bunch of cool stuff, it turns out. So I, a game that I kind of, fl- I flagged this a while ago, and then it kind of re-entered my radar uh, this week, is called Meeple Inc. And this is one of those ones where, for years, I think we've had this conversation a few times. We've said, like, why are there not games about making games? Yes. Right? It's kind of meta, but also not really. Because if you're an expert about anything as a game designer, it's making the games, right? Oh. You make games, right? There are a million books about being an author. In fact, it's a kind of a joke among authors of, like, you have to write at least one novel about how you're a writer. Like... <laughs> It's in there somewhere. So like, why don't we have more games about? And there's plenty of movies about being in Hollywood. So we need more games about making games because it's interesting. And I, we all would like the insight into that industry. Um, so this is that. It's coming from Joseph and Adams and Madeline Adams and Cogito Ergo Meeple, um, the publisher. It's on coming on GameFound sometime. It's in the coming soon phase. Um, but it is just that. It is a game about making games. Um, so in the game, you are going to the 1970s and they've got kind of this high fantasy workaround thing. I don't know why, really. You could just make a game about making games. But the goal, the thing here is humans and meeples have coexisted for millennia. Okay. So <laughs> you've got humans being clever and meeples being industrious. And now you're creating a new golden age of tabletop games. I don't know why it's the 70s. I don't know why the meeples have been personified. But it's, I'm, I'm here for it. Why not? Um, so you've got this big, broad table. It's about all these different, or board with all these different things that you could do. It's a worker placement game in which you'll be hiring different specialists and crafting things that go into the game, manufacturing different mechanisms you're going to use, and then publishing games that ideally are the most popular. And you're trying to get awards for those games. So um, the big thing that caught my attention is it comes with like little boxes to represent the games and like a little shelf, like a Kalax shelf, um, a three by three Kalax that you're like filling with these little boxes as you produce them. Um, so it's just like, it looks like a very clever, fun production. Uh, there is, you can go to GameFound and kind of walk through the rules. Um, they do have all that up right now, even though the, the campaign's not live yet. So if you're interested in learning more about it, I'm not, we're not supporting them. We're not advertising or anything but there's a trailer up there there's information about the campaign and all the different stuff you have so it's one to six players we got like a deluxe version 
you know, like wooden easels and metal trophies and acrylic standees and all that goodness, you know, because it's crowdfunded. So, of course, um, but mostly I've just I've wanted a game about making games. Someone's making it. It looks cute. It's got fun artwork. <laughs> it's like literal pictures of like little meeples and hard hats working in a factory. Love it. So um, I hope it's good because <laughs> otherwise uh, all the theming and, and creativity might would be for waste. But um I'll keep an eye on this one when they when they post it, and uh, hopefully some more videos on like how it actually plays. Excellent. That is Meeple Inc. Very excited. Like you said, the meta the meta nature of it, of it is like just all about us. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Well, speaking of fun, I guess <laughs> uh, <laughs> this was weirdly posted, and then uh, there was some retractions, there was some issues. Uh, more or less, it's been settled now. Hasbro. And I guess I should say more directly, HasbroPulse.com, which is their shop slash pre-order crowdfunding kind of site. Uh, They announced that they're releasing G.I. Joe Battle for the Arctic Circle, powered by Axis and Allies. So what they did is they took Axis and Allies and they made it G.I. Joe and Cobra. Because cool. of reasons. <laughs> yeah. I'm hey, if you're Hasbro and you have access to Axis and Allies and G.I. Joe, why not? <laughs> That's right. So uh if you if you do not remember the the story back from the 80s, uh Cobra has established a base at the North Pole and threatens the world with its world dominator. Only G.I. Joe is ready to <laughs> ready and able to defeat these forces without drawing the entire world into a larger conflict. That seems like a weird line to add there. I don't know why they need, they felt they needed to add that. Um, Admiral Key Hall, that's actually his name, and <laughs> or his G.I. Joe name, and Snowjob, also his G.I. Joe name, uh, lead the Joes against aggressive forces of Cobra, led by Cobra Commander, who else, and Destro. Um, the air, land, and sea of the Arctic Circle is the battlefield. Are you ready to fight? I again, as a kid who loved GI Joe, um, without too, thinking about it too deeply, uh, yeah, I I had all the things. I had at least some of the things because GI Joe had a lot of things, a lot of expensive things, yeah, a lot of big did. things, so many things. <laughs> yes, uh, but it was always kind of fun because the GI Joes, like each character, each uh, GI Joe or, or Cobra person, they were all like one type of archetype. So Deep Six was a deep sea diver. So somehow some of these characters ended up in missions that were not of their terrain or other things. And it was a lot of fun. And they had, honestly, some of the coolest vehicles and ships and planes and stuff like that. Mostly, I guess, legally distinct versions of regular military vehicles out there. Uh, The miniatures look really cool. I mean, I, I think these are just computer, you know, versions of them. But it will have over 100 plastic miniatures. It utilizes the Axis Allies, as we talked about. And it's $60 uh, for pre-order. So if you're interested, it is currently on HasbroPlus.com. And they are saying that there's an approximate ship date of June 15th. I remember as a kid buying Axis and Allies when I was certainly too young to understand it. Definitely too younger to play it. And did not have any friends that would understand that thing. Because it was just like, it looks like Risk or something. And I must have been, I don't know, 10 years old or something. (laughs) And just like, this is cool. I want to play this. And just could not figure it out and kept it under my bed and and stuff like that. But 
Uh, if the G.I. Joe version does not work for you, there's also Axis and Allies North Africa for $90 on pre-order. And then finally, because it's its anniversary, Axis and Allies Anniversary Edition. Uh, all the great, amazing, super pieces about that game. It's $130. So, yeah, it's a lot more than when I bought it for as a kid. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I've never been a big Axis and Allies guy, but like... G.I. Joe? G.I. Joe? I could, yeah. I could, I could get down with some G.I. Joe access in LA. I, I probably would never play it, though. So ah. I, couldn't, I couldn't justify adding yet one more game I won't play to my shelf. But it softens it, cool the edges. It, it softens yeah. the edges, and it's it's probably better in that version than anything else. So, yeah. Yeah. And now that you know, and knowing <laughs> half the battle? I don't know. Yeah. And Supposedly. the other half is buying the game? I don't I guess. <laughs> Either that or blue and red lasers. It's one of those. Ah, uh, lasers. That's, That's right. right. It doesn't come with the lasers, though. It's kind of disappointing. Oh, boo. I know. All right. Well, that's everything that we're looking forward to. Anthony, let's talk about the games that we did get to the table. Let everyone know if those games should be purchased, no matter what the price is, because they're the best games of all time. Of course, they're a buy. If those games are just good enough to hit the table along with us, then they're worth a play. If those games are... Not the best, not the worst, but honestly, not worth your time. They're a dodge. Or, in fact, if those games are the dreaded burn, then, you know, it's cold outside. So, got to roast something over the open fire. <laughs> so, Anthony, what did you play this week? All right. Yeah, so I I, I don't have a game to burn. Thematically, <gasps> Oh, I'm come sorry. on, man. You had one I know. job. You had one job to burn a game this week. I know. I actually rather like this one. So, oh, all right. What are you gonna do? That's uh, so. I, I I mentioned last week. I played a few things over the break. Um, haven't reviewed all of them yet. So I figured, you know, this week, next week, we'll kind of run through those. Uh, so the first one I want to talk about is Apiary. This is uh, from Stonemeyer Games. They provided a review copy for us. So just you know, full disclosure there. Um, game was provided by the publisher, and it's designed by first time designer Connie Vogelman who um, also is now designing Wormspan, which might be better known to the world at this point. <laughs> um, Apiary is the game, if you've heard the Space Bees, that's that's what this game is. It's Space Bees. Space Bees. Uh, but the, the thing about it, and I'm just going to get this out of the way now, otherwise I'll rant about it later. The theme is borderline nonsensical. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in the way that like the things you're doing are not like a bee. The research is clear here. It does reflect you know like this is what bees do this is how they build their hives this is like how they interact with the world this is what they do that's all great i wish it was just that that would be cool instead they're like let's put them in space for no reason <laughs> <laughs> that i can discern um and maybe it's the case that one or two of these locations and mechanics that help balance the game didn't really make sense in the context of like actual bee science and they're like well we need to add something they're like well how do we do that i'm like i don't know put them in space okay cool um but it's weird artwork is cool like space b looks cool uh, <laughs> but honestly like even then once like once you get it in front of you like you can't really see a lot of the artwork because there's so much iconography and stuff kind of burying it sure but anyways that's my big gripe with the game mechanically it's very interesting i had a lot of fun playing it um so in the game, you have a faction. There's like 20 of them out of the box and it goes on your little personal player mat. 
And this faction will use some kind of special ability or action or, or, or something that you can do, right? So a little bit of asymmetry. It's not a lot, but a little bit to start the game. You also get a few worker bees, uh, and these are going to have numbers on them. They look like dice, kind of. Like, it's a bee meeple type thing, but it's got a square, like a cube in the middle of it that has different numbers, go from one to four. And that's the level of your worker. So it's got kind of a Teotihuacan mechanic here where every time you use that worker, when you retrieve it, or move to the next level, it's going to come back and be a little bit more powerful, right? So if you put a one out there, later when you retrieve your workers, it will come back, you can push it up to a two, right? And there's other ways to increase them as well. Once it reaches a four and you use it, if you call it back, it's not actually gonna come back to you, it's gonna go off to the sideboard as a one, and then you need to recruit that bee back to your hive. So you will lose workers, like you'll you'll whittle them down until you don't have any left, and then you gotta bring them back. Um, and so that's basically what the, what the mechanics of the game are. You're going to place workers out, and then eventually at some point have to bring them back. Um, in terms of the actions you're taking, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Um, you can take the advance action, which is going to give you tiles that you can place in your personal tableau. You have like a big map that you start with, but you can also add pieces to it later and help kind of expand that. Uh, these tiles represent production and the farm tiles, which just gives you resources that you'll need throughout the game. Um, recruit, which gives you like special powers and abilities, short term and long term, and then development tiles, um, which are pretty powerful and kind of like a one time effect that do, does something big. Um, the recruit and development tiles cost more. They cost like honey and like hive material. I forgot what the other thing's called. Um, but that stuff's harder to produce. So those things are a little more expensive to get. Um, there's a convert action that allows you to convert resources into other resources. It also has a way to... you. Each of these actions, if you place a four on them, will give you something extra. Uh, so, like, if you place a four worker on advance, you gain points as well, right? If you place a four worker on convert, you get to teach a dance, which opens up a new conversion action, um, which is pretty cool. Uh, you have the explore action. There's a grid of 16 tiles that you can uh, move between. And these are almost entirely just like resource gen resource generation tiles. But when you're the first one to go to a tile, you get to choose what resources it produces, which is kind of a cool mechanic. So it'll have empty squares on it and some filled in, but a lot empty. And if you go there, you can say, like, I need water. So this tile now produces water. Um, the interesting thing about all these different locations you go to is the number on your worker almost always determines what you can do there to some degree, right? So like explore action, the number tells you how far you can move. Um, there's a queen bee, they're moving around this grid. If you place a one there, they can only move one space. But there's almost always two spots available. So when you go there, you can bump the other person down and then it adds those two together. So now, like let's say someone placed a one, the next person places a two, your total option is three because you, you add those together. So it's it's pretty dynamic in that way. It's worker placement, but you can go anywhere at any time. It's really just a matter of like, do I want to give other people access to my four, right? <laughs> like I'm going to put a four out there. They could bump it down, but now they have access to that and that gives them a lot of additional potential benefits. Um, so I'm going to place my four last to make sure that when... On my next action, I'm going to take it back so nobody else can use it, right? To power up their action. Um, so 
there's a lot of like things that you wouldn't normally think of in a worker placement game, which is pretty cool. Uh, there are a few other mechanics kind of mixed into the game as well. There are seed cards um, that you can pick up from various actions. Um, there's a research action, which allows you to plant those cards. These cards are pretty powerful. Uh, they have actions on them. They also allow you to spend for resources. So any one card can be a resource. So if you get an engine going that generates cards, you can do a lot in the game. And I think out of the box, it allows you to play as many of them as you want. Um, I think there's a house rule going around right now to limit that to two. Otherwise, people's turns can kind of spiral out of control. So there are a few of those things because it's a Stonemeyer game where it's probably going to get patched and tweaked in future versions of the game. Um, but yeah, it's it's you're doing all those things. You're kind of man- managing and manipulating and kind of growing your power and just trying to do the most that you can. Each time you um, retire, like one of your higher level bees, you're going to go down to this, uh, like you have these little uh, cardboard tokens that represent, I don't know what they represent actually. I should look that up, but they're like little retired bees and you place them down at the bottom section. And once that bottom section is full, meaning that a certain number of people have taken like the, the return worker action or retired their bees from the fours or whatever that is, um, the game will end. So uh, the speed of the game depends on the number of players. Uh, plays pretty quickly, pretty smoothly. The solo version is also very interesting uh, with the Automa, which of course, Stonemaier always does a good job with the Automas. Um, this is my favorite Stonemaier game in a while. It's It's been a long time, I think, since they made a game that I legitimately enjoyed. Um, the last few have been kind of iffy. Uh, you know, I did not like Expeditions at all. I, I did not review it here on the podcast because I was not successful in getting enough people to the table to assess the the player count. But I will tell you, I just sold it at a certain point. I'm like, I'm never going to get this played. I don't want to. It's gone. Um, so that was a disappointment. Um, previous game, I'm looking at their list and it's just a bunch of Rolling Realms expansions. But Tapestry was disappointing. Um, Red Rising was disappointing. Uh it's just, yeah, it's been a rough go, I think. Not for them as a company, they're doing fine. But for me as a fan, it's been a rough go. Um, but this one's really good. This is a buy for me. I was really pleasantly surprised. I did not think I'd like it as much as I do. Um, and maybe that's just the theming. I don't know. And not not knowing what to expect from a new designer, I guess. But uh, Apiary is a very good worker placement game. A little bit of like a level or so above Viticulture in terms of complexity if you're placing it somewhere, but not super complex still. So still in that kind of Stonemeyer sweet spot of, you know, advanced games for people who don't play a lot of advanced games. Uh, so yeah, Apiary, check it out. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I will hold on to this one. I just sold my copy of Wingspan, if that tells you anything. <laughs> wow. So, th- not not that this replaces Wingspan, but just like in terms of like where it sits in that, that pantheon of games for me. That's mm-hmm. where it's at. Cool. So where would you say as far as weight is concerned? Because I think that was the challenging thing for me. I have not played the game, but just as you mentioned, some of the uh, the artistic choices, some of the, the graphic design, it, it seemed muddled and, and busy, like busy bees. Yeah. So I wasn't really sure, like, and again, because it's space bees, is that does that mean it's lighter? Does it mean it's super heavy? I wasn't sure how to kind of gauge that because, again, obviously it's a, a developing board and game as it goes on. 
Yeah, it's. I don't know. Like, if you go to BGG, it says like a two point nine. I think that's right. Okay. Uh, like just below a three. Viticulture is a two nine three. I do feel like this is a little bit more than Viticulture. Sure. Um, but maybe just because I played Viticulture a bunch and it seems simple to me now. I mm-hmm. don't know. Uh, I feel like, assuming they continue to expand this, like they do all their games. It will be like a solid experience with additional content, mm-hmm. right? As it is right now, it's worker placement. You can't make those that complex. Like, sure. You have five locations you can go. There's a few restrictions to that. You got to manage the level of your bees. But there are a lot of things to keep track of, right? It's not just I have workers, I'm placing them. Like, what level are my workers? Which one goes out first? Which one goes out last? Sure. When do I want them to upgrade? Like, I always like that mechanic in a worker placement game, and it, it does it really well. So I, I think it's thinky enough. Um, for us but the muddled design I'm, I'm with you on that i just it had a lot of really cool stuff to look at but when you look at it all together yeah. in a tableau it's just a mess so not not a mess that's a bit strong of a word but it's it's not as strong as it could be well i'm glad i'm glad it plays so well because again like giving it a buy is a really high mark considering like you said somewhat of a messy challenging thematic gameplay or just the aesthetic of it so I think a lot of I think it might just bump against some people. So I'm glad that like you're welcoming people into it because I think it it certainly certainly deserves it if it if it plays well. And I think like you mentioned, uh, Stonemaier Games has had some challenges as as far as their last couple of games. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and like I haven't played the game nearly enough to say there's balance issues, mm-hmm. but I've spotted a few things that feel like balance issues. It's a Stonemaier game, though, so I'm not surprised. And I don't think they... Obviously, I've enjoyed it a lot. I, If I play this 10 more times, will there be issues? Maybe. So sure. keep that in mind if you're the type of person who buys a game and plays it forever. Um, maybe wait a little longer. But uh, from what I've played, uh, which is plenty over the holidays, it's it's really been, been a lot of fun. Excellent. All right. Well, I played a, um, a very light, abstract game, Triketa. Uh, it is a game about collecting mystical animal tokens and creating perfect triquetas, which are three tile pieces that link together to that look like these really awesome little flowers. So basically at the start of the game, um, all these tiles get arranged in a little flower shape of three levels. Again, it's an abstract game. There really isn't heavy theme here. It's, just about the design and about the set collection here. So you're going to put together these piles and at the start of the game, the first player will take one of the pieces off, uh, look at one side and they'll find uh, a particular animal. And the animals will also have uh, different numbers on them because you're trying to collect ideally a set of three. If you collect a set of three, you're able to get the points that are listed on that particular animal. So bears are 10, where it goes all the way down to rabbits being five. So obviously you want the bears. You want three of them. That will score you 10 points in the game. But if you would, as the game goes on, um, you're going to decide what to do with the tiles when you get them. So you can keep two tiles hidden on the side for later use in scoring, and or you can discard them if, if problems kind of occur. But mostly what you're going to do is you're going to add them to a line um, of tiles. So basically it has that 
um, I split, you choose kind of mechanic, Anthony, which I, I know that you and I love, but it doesn't get a, a, enough attention. So you're placing tiles out. You're trying to make certain sets that are, you know, for your own collection, but you're trying to incentivize other players to take the thing that you don't want to take. At some point in between the taking of two tiles for yourself, placing the tiles out on these different rows, you're going to select a row. And when you do, that's the end of your turn. The other players continue to go until all the tiles are taken and all the rows are chosen. And then you're going to set up your tiles and then you're going to see generally what you've kind of like put together. Uh, that continues over multiple rounds. And then everyone flips, o- flips over their, you know, hidden tiles or decides to discard those hidden tiles. And you score the points based upon the tiles you have. If you collected three of a kind, you'll get that points. If you collected two, you get two points. If you just collected one, you get one point. If you collected more than the three, that that triquetta is negated and a fourth one will be minus one, a fifth one will be minus two, minus three, so forth and so on. So there's a careful balance and a careful press your luck kind of situation because you do want to get the, t- the row that has the most beneficial tiles to you, but everyone else can see what you're collecting. Again, with the exception of those two tiles, So they're going to make certain rows not the best for you, and you're going to take some negatives, not the end of the world. Pretty simple, straightforward game as it goes. Um, A light, interesting, abstract, no thematic kind of play to it, so to speak. So uh, don't look too deep, but it's it's a nice, interesting game. And surprisingly, it's from Deep Print Games, um, distributed by uh, Pegasus Beal. And uh, it gets a play. Um, I'm not an abstract fan. But I am certainly a strategic, you know, I split, you choose kind of situation. And it's good. It's a good little game. Great. That's fun. Um, I, I split, you choose. I mean, I feel like we've been seeing more of these lately, but at the same time, still underused. It is. It's such a cool mechanic. It is. It's a, it's a simple, it's just such a simple, easy, tactical mechanic that just can be played so effectively. And as you go through these rounds, obviously you're trying to create the best row possible for you, incentivize other people to take something else. And then obviously, ideally, you want to be able to take the last row because there's a bonus point that goes along with that. Uh, And then at the end of the game, the first pay marker helps. So you want to do what works best for you, but other people are going to do things and get things as well. And again, four rounds, a bunch of really cool tiles, small little box game. I split you choose, which again, I love. I love that mechanic. Do not see enough out there. I think we were talking about New York Slice recently. Love that game because of that mechanic. So yeah, check it out. All right. So that's everything that we got to table. Anthony, let's get on to our feature review. Our feature review this week, of course, is The Dreaded Burn. The games that we do not want to ever talk about again, but somehow we did talk about them. They're unspeakable games that shall never be named. And somehow they were named and it's on this episode. because. Last week was the best games of the year. And if you haven't listened to that episode, listen to it because it was the best games of the year. So this episode and this feature review is quite sad, quite problematic. And we're sorry because it is the dreaded burn. And typically there's ashes left in our memory, at the table, in our hearts. These are games we played and we feel bad about it. And we don't want you to play them because they're bad games. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, don't play any of these. You're not going to recognize most of these, but uh, don't play them anyway. They're terrible. <laughs> Somebody comes up to you, kids, and they try to offer you to play these games. Say no and run away and, and, t- and tell an adult or at least a podcaster who cares enough to tell you not to play those games. So hot takes, man. Hot takes this week. Hot takes <laughs> all around. So, Anthony, uh, why don't you start us off with uh, your rare but dreaded burns? Rare but dreaded burns. Yeah, we're going to go through them. Are we going to alternate or should I just go through all of mine and just burn everything? Uh, I think we should alternate. It makes the fire a little more pretty. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll mix it up. Yeah. Uh, so, my first one, uh, we've talked about this a few times in the podcast, and you can go back to the original review where I burned it. Uh, Chronicle came out in 2009. This is designed by Seiji Kanai, and I was excited to play it when it was put in front of me because I had played Love Letter, and I loved it. And I was like, ooh, a new new game from Love Letter guy. Uh, and I hated it. In fact, this is the game that made me avoid trick-taking games for nearly 10 years. Like, just a forever. I'm like, I will not play trick-taking games. This is terrible. Um, it's each of the different characters in the game have some kind of power that like manipulates and affects the, the flow of the game. But one of the most telling things when I pulled this up on Board Game Geek is that the designer says, you know, if you're kind of new to the game, you really should only play with three or four players, not five or six. That makes it really too hard to control the game, the flow of the game. Um, You also should take out all these cards from the game because they're not really balanced. And also these optional rules you should probably implement or remove. So the game is just broken at certain player counts. And if you're new to the game, you should just remove half of it because it doesn't work right. Um, And that was my experience. I played this however many rounds we played and i think there was like two or three games in a row where i literally did nothing i just sat there and would go to do something and so I was like you can't do that i'm like cool and then i play this card and like nothing happened for you i'm like cool <laughs> it's the opposite of what i want in a trick-taking game where every action has a purpose even if you're not gaining something sure this is every action has no purpose with the very rare exception that maybe you gain something so terrible game dreaded burn go away yeah, I don't I played it since. It was such a bad game for you that you hated trick-taking games for the longest time. Yeah, like I said, 10 years, man. I not quite 10 years, but almost a decade yeah. I did not play trick-taking games because of this I game. Know. I remember I was there and just the look on your face when you just could not do a thing over and over again. Not a good look, people. Just not a good look. Getting into hobby games, I think this is the first game I played where I was like, oh, some of these are bad. Yeah, so it's surprising, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was not fun. Well, talking about surprisingly bad games, uh, this is a game coming from Mattel. Mattel, you have their toys. They have games. You've played their games. You've loved their games growing up. I don't know why or how, but they produced a game, and I think we're safe with saying this, Anthony. F. That. And that is yeah. actually the name of the game. It's on the box. It has it has a little, as you know, kind of spacing star posture. It's got a thing, and it has an exclamation point, which I always love about board games when they have an exclamation point because they they're really concerned that you're not going to like pop the name. I guess. Well, Mattel came to Gen Con one year, and we were really excited about that because they're a big company and they could produce really great games and they have produced some classic iconic games or purchased the companies that did and they had this and this was a review copy 
And it didn't make any sense because I'm like, oh, it's from Mattel. Clearly, this is something good. So let me just give you the description because it is that bad, in, in fact. Um, in this game, the active player each round is presented with an uncomfortable or unusual situation. Their example, this is in the game, you've just gone to the bathroom only to discover afterwards there's no toilet paper available. What's an acceptable solution? And then the game gives you cards of random things. And then one person, again, is the judge, which is always the case with so many of these, these overtired party games. And then other people have to guess what your preference happens to be. It's incredibly dumb. It tries to be racy. It's not. It's, it's just, it's terrible mechanics with a terrible game, with a terrible title from a much better company that should ever produce this. This was a burn then. It continues to be a burn. Do not play F that. I'm just saying. You th- you'd think by the name we would have known better. I, look, man, we how many... We do a service. That's all I'm saying. It's a service. <laughs> it's a service yeah. to people out there. We're like, this this, this has got to be bad. This can't... It, it, it was. It was. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, I'm sure Mattel was very happy with our review of that. All right. Uh, my next one is a game that I played at a game night. Somebody brought it to game night. And if we just played it once, it probably would not have elevated itself to a burn. But we played this game for about an hour and a half. And you've all been in those experiences where you're just like, you just keep playing the game. And you're like, oh, that didn't that didn't make sense. Why does that work like that? And you're like, maybe we just played it wrong. And you look through the rules. And you're like, no, we played it right. Let's play it again. Like, nope. <laughs> That's bad. That's a bad rule that makes no sense. This game is called Visitor in Blackwood Grove. Oh. It was a Kickstarter um, back in 2017. And it's it's basically E.T., but as an inductive reasoning game. So there are there's the kid and the visitor, alien, and the visitor has to make up a rule, quote unquote, about what objects can pass through the force field. And the kid has to work with them to make sure the agents can't figure that out. It's inductive reasoning. Basically, you're playing cards and trying to see if they get through the force field. And if they can, great. If they can't, whatever. You're trying to figure out what the rule is. There's a few things wrong with the game. One is inductive reasoning relies on the people at the table (laughs) to actually engage with the rules the way they're written. Doesn't always work. Often doesn't. Um, Two, sometimes you can just guess it. Like, just immediately. And you're like, okay, cool. Well, that was a waste of a round. Nothing happened, right? There's no gamification elements there that stop you from doing that. And three, sometimes those gamification elements that are there just get in the way of anything interesting actually happening. And the game will drag on forever. And it's boring. So this is one of those games where it's like banging my head against the table of like, when is this going to be over? Why is it taking so long? Um, It's trying to do something interesting. It's trying to make a team-based game that works. It doesn't really work. It requires very specific output from players without knowing what the game is asking from them. And that never works, unless you're really lucky. Or if you've played it 100 times, which I will never do. So Visitor in Blackwood Grove uh, kind of falls in it's borderline party game. Not quite, but it's definitely not getting played again. <laughs> this was a burn for wow. me. Wow. Incredible. Well, another game in games that have already been produced as far as like social situations that you've done with your friends, especially your teenage years, and for some reason, someone thought it would be a good idea to actually make a hardcore production of the game. Uh, never have I ever. The game of poor life decisions. 
one of the poor life decisions was I played this game. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Saw that coming to my way. That's good. Uh, this was also a review copy, and I also burned it because basically the game says that it's all about learning more about your friends and what's the best way to learn about them, but they're embarrassing and awkward moments. Now, if you ever play this game with your friends, you know how you can come up with far better things. What does the game come up with? Uh, Tell us about, you know, has anybody got arrested for public urination? That's the high quality level of the cards in the game. So just like you already know how to play the game, someone plays one of those cards, people admit to having done it or not done it. And if you have, you get the card. Uh, first person to collect 10 cards wins. So One. that's literally it. There's nothing else to say about this game other than it's terrible. And other than you could play it better just with your friends, with what comes out from your head. You do not need to spend money on it. It's a bad game, bad examples, not fun. Like if you're going to make some a game like this, then come out with outrageous cards or fun cards or Stuff that would really, you know, connect you with other people. It's just bad, dumb stuff throughout. It's a bad game. It's burn. Play it just by yourselves. Again, more fun there than this game. Uh, Never have or ever. The game of poor life decisions. Uh, Why did I have to say it again? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, people people don't like when we don't say the game names again, That's which true. is fair. I don't like it when people do that either. But it's... I want them to forget this. I want them to be like, uh, see, yeah. see, we, you know, but this is the one episode where we do it, and we shouldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, don't even listen to saying. this episode. Stop the episode right now. You don't need to hear anymore. No, 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 no. Don't listen to this, man. Oh, come no, 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 no. on. <laughs> burn this episode. How about that? Okay. Well, let me let me do this one first because we can both burn this game together. All right, there we go. Um, Gloom. Oh no. Yes, <laughs> specifically Cthulhu Gloom, because I hated this one even more than Gloom. But oh. both of these are burns for me. Um, Keith Baker's famous Gloom from Atlas Games is a game in which you have like these see-through cards. You're layering all these terrible things on top of the protagonists that are in your tableau. And you're trying to make them miserable, potentially kill them off faster than anybody else can make their characters miserable and kill them off. Um, the twist with Cthulhu Gloom is you're also trying to drive them insane, because that's fun. Uh, the game really wants you to play the story mode, too. So not only are you doing terrible things to these characters and making their lives miserable, which is not... I guess you people find that fun, because the game is very popular, but you are also telling a story. You're supposed to read the cards and what happens and kind of role-play it a little bit. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people enjoy this a lot. This is where this game becomes a burn for me, right? So we have this game experience where it's like, hey, terrible things are happening constantly. It's just all negativity. It's all that's happening. You're supposed to embody that negativity and now tell a story about it. And the the mechanics are also not that interesting on top of all that. So I've never had fun with this. I've played it several times, just Gloom in general. Gloom with Cthulhu Gloom I played once. Um, and it's just, it's actually dropped over the years wow. like, it was a five it was a four it's like a two now for me i just i will walk away from the table if someone pulls out gloom i'm like i'm not doing it it's not happening Ugh, gloom oof brutal well i have something that is again typically when i rate games the only way that they actually get down to burn because as anthony said earlier i do tremendously appreciate the effort the love 
the commitment, the time of the designer, the publishers, everyone involved. But there are, of course, sometimes where games are just so fundamentally bad or they're so boring or as oftentimes I will say, and I'll, I'll probably say this a little bit later, they just play themselves, right? Every once in a while, surprisingly enough, there's a game that's just broken. And I mean, not playable whatsoever. That game is Coaster Park. Coaster Park, beautiful, fun kind of images, art, graphic design. And it, in fact, has a cardboard uh, roller coaster that you put together with all the ups and downs. And you have a marble and you're able to play the marble and it's supposed to go through the coaster. The coaster does not work. It does not work at all, or it works incredibly bad, gets stuck, falls off almost immediately. It's a broken, broken, problematic, should never have been shipped, bad, terrible production. And beyond that, the other parts of the game, the auction, all the other stuff, is just boring as all get out. Um, I had this, again, a review copy. Uh, this was from Pandasaurus Games. I, I don't understand. They're a very good company. But this was literally one of the worst experiences I had in gaming because the effort it goes into setting all this up and getting people to play it and then just fundamentally would just would not work was incredibly devastating. And it was also very expensive at that time as well. Uh, that's Coaster Park. All right. Uh, next up for me is a game that uh, <laughs> played at the game night. I honestly, I hope that the the individual who brought these games is not listening because I, I would feel bad because they brought a lot of good games and introduced me a lot of good games too. Um, but this one's called Eschaton. And you've probably seen it if you've been to a convention in the last few years because it's got very striking artwork. Um, it's all black and white. There's like silhouettes marching across this the cover of the board. Um, they usually have a big black and white booth. And so it's it's got like a Tyrants of the Underdark feel to it. You got all these little cubes and you've got kind of a deck building mechanic and you're placing those cubes out, kind of managing the board, right? So um, the thing about the game that doesn't work for me, because all that's whatever, right? The theme is like you're a cult and you're trying to do the best culty things at the end of the world. Eh, it's, it's a little eh for me, but whatever. Um, but the thing that doesn't work for me about this game specifically is like mechanics, right? It's got these event cards that are very swingy. Uh, only eight of them come out in the game. There's like 23 in the box or something like that. But they're very swingy. They can throw the game back and forth. Huge bonuses to certain people, destroying certain armies. Like, you could build up a whole thing, and the event could just be like, no, destroyed. I hate that in games, right? And the other thing that makes it worse, it's the game is like super long. Unless you're playing with people who know it and have played it well over times, it's like three plus hours long for a game that shouldn't maybe be 90 minutes. And so that swingy where it can undo your actions over the course of three hours. Woof, <laughs> not fun. Um, I don't mind the artwork. You know, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. And it's, it's a nothing for me, really. It doesn't bother me one way or the other. Um, but it's just so long and dragging. And it, it just, I didn't feel like I accomplished anything. Right. And there's a lot of games that make me feel like that. I didn't accomplish anything, but never to the point where I was just like kind of borderline depressed about it because it's just everything about the game is so down and dour. And then you're like, and you've done nothing. I'm like, cool. With no fault of my own and not 
not even just no fault of my own, but like nobody else did anything to make that happen. It's just the game itself beat me down, which I guess is thematic, but it's not fun. So um, Eschaton uh, is one of those games that I think people who like it decently like it, but I very much did not like it. So that's a burn for me. Ouch. All right. Well, next up for me is at least back in the day was very controversial. Uh, this was a game that was released by Riot Games, um, who their first release was Mechs and Minions, which everyone was shocked because it was a tremendous game at a ridiculously great price and had so many brilliant elements of League of Legends in it. It's just, it's just fantastic. Their second game, and again, not to disparage, not to, I don't know, make claims because this was back in 2020 give or take um i don't i don't know like i i still this day i don't know uh better journalists than i needed to kind of investigate this because it seemed like the scam of all scams uh is tellstones king's gambit swap flip and peek at the stones can you tell when your opponent is lost it's a memory stone with really, it's a memory game with like really high production. Um, and it's a couple of stones. So it's a really simple, dumb kind of game. It is literally one of the worst kind of things out there. It was sent out in some cases for paid reviews. And I, I don't, I, I don't know what to say to it other than great company. This is a joke. This is problematic. <laughs> Um, there was just lies out there. Um, a lot of good reviewers out there, um, called it out and a lot of people spent a lot of money on something that was, I I, I mean, I gotta believe it was, I, I gotta believe it was a joke or not a scam necessarily, but they were messing with people to think that they could sell, you know, a box of rocks for $40 that, you know, a child could kind of deal with. I, I don't understand it. I don't know. We never spoke to riot. It's it's not even a game. It's boring as all get out. Memory with a little bluffing. It's there was controversy at the time. I, thankfully, everyone's forgotten about it. They should. It was terrible. It was again in comparison to Riot's other game, which was phenomenal. I can't imagine what they were thinking. Um, all kinds of problems. All kinds of issues. All kinds of controversy. Tellstones, King's Gambit. Let's never talk about this again. I, I forgot about this, but I remember now that you're talking about it. It's crazy that this existed because we thought it was a joke. We thought it's it was... a real game and they shipped it and Tom Vassell reviewed it. Yeah. And Rodney Smith did a video for it, yep. how to play. Yep. He did a how to play on that game. If you ever want to see poor Rodney's like I'm paying, I, you know, like selling your soul kind of thing. That, that was that yeah. video because that was the moment his soul died. Yeah. yeah Cause he's much, he's so much better than that. And he should never have been, I understand everyone's got to pay the bills, but like, Oof, there's a line. There's a line, a line. And, and and my my heart cracked when I yeah no, nope, not even a little bit. <laughs> Just yep. It, it's something like if that was kind of like a free giveaway, you would have laughed at it. You would have probably tossed it. But the fact that it was a forty dollar game that they got other people to promote on their behalf, which was like it was almost like an you know emperor's new clo- clothes. Like yeah, it's it, exactly that. It, it yeah. felt a hundred percent like that, and. I, I nobody was stopping the train. I mean, right. Geez. 
I can't believe I can't believe it. <laughs> can't. And again, yeah. Mechs and Minions. I I will fight you any day on this. Like one of the best games. Like again, what? Oh, it's so good. What it's they so good. did at that price, and all the stuff that came along with it. Like, I don't know. Was there like an angel devil kind of situation? Like you'll be able to release the greatest game at the most reasonable price possible, but then you have to release this monstrosity. Like you know, or I don't. I don't understand. No, it's chaos. Don't do it. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Uh, my next game is uh, another one from that fabled game night. It's not the same night, by the way. It's just a group I used to go to. Is it? Um, is it one? What was it? One bad day where you became the Joker. You played several yeah, right. bad games. <laughs> <laughs> just, just in case anybody wants to know who the Joker is, it's this guy because I played all these terrible games. There you go. Um, it's the Witcher Adventure game. This is from Ignacy Trevacek, of all people, who I generally like his games quite a bit. Uh, And it came out in 2014, the same year as Imperial Settlers. It's crazy to me, because this is one of the worst. I I don't like adventure games, so I have to, like, preface it with that. So I'm going to skew negative on them in general. I find them to be boring. You're moving around. You're drawing cards. You get, like, a slight stat bump. Nothing interesting happens. There's not really any interesting conflict. You're just doing stuff for hours, right? Um, so it's that, but it is particularly bad within that genre because not only are you just doing stuff for hours, but the game is almost kind of on rails. Uh, so it's set in the world of the Witcher. It comes out before the third video game was released. So it's like Witcher two, Witcher one, kind of that world, but it's all the same world. Um, and you play as one of the four characters or I I don't actually know much about Witcher two or before that I played Witcher three and that's it. Um, but you could be Geralt, you could be Triss, or you could be Yarpin, oh. whoever that is, or Dandelion, <laughs> the bard. Uh, I got to be Dandelion. I remember this game specifically because I was like, oh, I want to be uh, Geralt. And the guy who brought the game is like, no, I'm always Geralt. I'm like, dude, <laughs> come on. You're going to drag me to play this game. All I know about it is it's The Witcher, which I like the theme. And you're like, no, you can't be the one thing you know from this. You have to be Dandelion, the bard. Stupid <laughs> game. Um, but so you you wander around and do stuff. You try to overcome obstacles. But, you know, the obstacles you overcome, it, it's it's kind of random based on what you have in front of you. So sometimes you work together. Sometimes you don't. You have your own development cards that you're drawing from. Sometimes they're helpful. Sometimes they're not. Um, there's a review on BoardGameGeek, which I think perfectly sums it up. Way too long for a brain dead game. There is no meaningful decision making in this game. It's four over four hours long slog where you go around a map, which is gorgeous, and do random stuff, which is mostly annoying, nothing happens to you. So that was my experience with this game. (laughs) Um, And that's that's my fear with all adventure games. This is like all of that manifest. If you take every pet peeve I have about adventure games, this game has all of them. It feels almost intentionally badly made. And then I saw Ignacy Trevichek's name on the box, and I was like, is this a joke? Is he messing with people? Did he have like some weird contract with Fantasy Flight where he had to make this game? And he's like, I want to make it terrible. Those guys suck. Uh, I don't know, but it's it was one of the worst experiences I've had gaming. Um, period. I was super mad in that game. <laughs> so uh, The Witcher adventure game. Not recommended. Wow. Yeah. And again, how did they screw up something that just should be so simple? Yeah. 
All right, next up for me is another review copy. <laughs> do you guys give honest reviews when you do a review copy? Yes, 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 we do. Yeah, that's um, true. Yeah, if you want to know. <laughs> if you want to know. <laughs> that's why we're not popular with anyone, except for all of you out there, and we appreciate that because Yay! nobody else likes us. Uh, play me, Alice in Wonder Dice. Uh, this is an Alice in Wonderland game where you get one of the Alice in Wonderland characters. Awesome. Uh, you get some cartoony slash creepy kind of artwork for your character. And then you roll dice like your life depends on it because, or you're on, I don't know, some sort of adrenaline drug that is just like, you have to roll dice as quickly as possible. And as you're rolling dice as quickly as possible, each time you roll, you can take one of the special actions. And you have like three special actions, but you have to roll the dice as quickly as possible because otherwise you lose the game. But you got to really kind of take half a second to pick a special action, which is blocks or unblocks and does a whole bunch of things. So there's a whole bunch of people playing, which is literally just throwing dice at the table and then trying to pull their brain together to pick an action that's just going to mess with other people. So you are stopping them from rolling dice and stuff. So they have to kind of re-evaluate what's currently happening because you just mess with their dice so they can't pick up. It is not a game. It is a mess and it's a tragedy across the board. <laughs> Uh, I, we, it, it should have been, and again, this is a $25 game that should have been five or $10. Um, the dice rolling is too, way too fast. Um, the effects are really boring and more and more, and really all they do is annoy other players who are just trying to roll their dice. And it, it I, again, this should have been a joke. This should have been a free giveaway and just tossed aside. And it was from Simon. And it was Alice in Wonderland, and it had everything it could have needed to be a great game. And it's such a miserable experience to feel like you just got to roll these dice as quickly as possible, and you're just messing with other people, so you have to stop them from rolling their dice because you're changing their situation, they're changing your situation, and then there's it, there's just problems throughout. Um, again, I don't know what they were going with this game, especially because the artwork is weirdly just is not kids it's not adults it's kind of weirdly in between uh yeah wanted to love this game hate this game burn this game just i don't know uh play me allison wonder dice i don't no no don't don't play me don't 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 even come close yeah the funny thing with these review copies too like especially when we get them in the conventions is that often we'll we'll get them People will offer them to us. We'll take them at the convention and we split them up. Yes. And so I remember some of these where I'm like, okay, you have to take this one. Uh, <laughs> Dodge <fine."> that bullet. <laughs> like you look at the back of the box, you're like, this doesn't look good. And then you find, like hits into the review later on the podcast. Like, oh, you hated it. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, at the very beginning, oh. you're very happy to take review. You're like, oh, this out of this, this lot of games that we got, I'm really happy. To, and then at the end, it's like, I have to, yeah, I have to take that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'll take the crappy game. Yeah. That's fine. Um, speaking of which, uh, my next one is Number Drop. Oh, boy. This is from AEG. This is a review copy that I brought over from Gen Con this year, actually. So if you want to hear my review of this, go back to episode 441. Now, I think I might have given this a dodge at the time, but I have played it a couple more times since. Um, just because I'm like, is it that bad? And it has fallen from there to a burn. So if you want to go update my review from, uh, previously um the thing about this game is like it's designed by a pair including benoit turpin who worked on all the welcome to games 
which I like a lot. And this is a roll and write. So I was like, okay, well, that's a good pedigree. It's not a good game, though, because they're trying to make Tetris as a roll and write. And it just doesn't translate because you it's just you're rolling different polyominoes and you have to put them on your grid. You can't move them. You can't slide them. You can't fill holes. You are completing various objectives. And once those are completed, you can't do that again. for Points like none of that is Tetris. None of it feels like Tetris. And the interaction with other players doesn't make sense in the context of what the game is asking you to do. Right. There's like all these weird penalties of how you drop stuff on each other. It's weird and complicated. It doesn't make sense. So what it's trying to do, the thing it was designed to do, it fails at. And then it undermines anything else it could possibly succeed at. It's just, it's dull, but also just kind of infuriating a little bit in how it pushes these mechanics forward. So if you want to hear my full review, 441, not a good game, uh, number drop. I, I mean, it's still downstairs. I need to get rid of it, but it's going away. <laughs> yeah, I think all of our reviews are out there somewhere. I did not bother to look back because I don't, I don't want to go there. It's yeah, this was a recent one, so I feel like I should throw it out there. Gotcha. It was only a few weeks ago, but yeah, it's okay. Oof. All right. Well, another again, I talked about there's a lot of different rationales why a game is a is a burn. And again, like the coaster game, uh, this game is a burn because it's broken. Uh, this is Warehouse 51. And Anthony, as you mentioned, um, some of these are good designers. So the design trio here i just i'll mention one because i don't want to insult the others and make people know that they actually produce a game uh bruno faduti is one of the designers of warehouse 51 and this was also a review copy and it should be fun i i mean there was a tv show warehouse 51 and had all these really cool stuff in it as far as like you're trying to capture all of these these really cool treasures and all these different things do really cool things right so cool treasures doing cool things, great little artwork, a lot of fun. Here's the problem. The whole game is an auction game. It's just auctions, period. What's the problem with that, Chris? I like auction games. Well, here's the thing. It has a closed market. There's only a certain amount of money that is played in the game, and you can break the game super easy. Because once you start collecting enough money, you do not need to spend the money. So if you have enough points and you have the money, no one else can purchase things. No one else has enough money to trade around the table. And you win the game. And it's like a 45-minute game. It's not a filler game. This is not a one and done. This is not for sale. I d it's, it's broken. It's just a broken game. These things happen. I get it but people should not be able to break a game by Bruno Faduti and other designers who shall not be named for their, you know, sake and anonymity. Um, this was a tremendously devastating game and a burn because again, big game, expensive price, not a filler game, not a throwaway game. And you can literally break it and break everyone's heart at the table. <laughs> You're just like, and I win. And they're like, but the game's not even like a quarter over. I'm like, but I win. They're like, but you, but we could do things. I'm like, but you can't because yeah, close money market kind of thing. And yeah. So yeah, this is bad. This is a bad thing. <laughs> Warehouse 51. <laughs> don't go there. Just stay away from it. There's a reason yeah, yeah, why. Avoid it. Avoid it at all costs. Yes. All right. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the 
one of our first burns, maybe the first one. Uh, yeah, this is uh, kind of famous in Board Gamers Anonymous lore. Those pesky garden. Nets. Oh, man. Yeah. I... So this is from Rio Grande Games, mm-hmm. which I forgot. Honestly, I thought this was like a nonsense, nothing publisher. We're like, no, this is from legit game makers. Jeez. Who knew? What happened? Um, Three designers on this thing, which is crazy. Is it three designers to screw that up? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so this is a trick-taking game uh, in which everybody has random goals that change every round as you try to work around this central board. It is chaotic. It is nonsensical. It is almost impossible to build any kind of strategy or tactical approach to this game whatsoever. It honestly, it feels like a game designed for like families to play. And yet because the goals are constantly changing, it's a little too complex for like younger children. The artwork is terrible, (laughs) just absolutely abysmal. It just looks like somebody pulled up a bunch of clip art and slapped it together the day of. And then the trick-taking component doesn't really make any sense. Like, it is it is trick-taking. Like, you're doing a trick, a hand, and you're trying to see if you meet your goal, and you're trying to move along this path. But you're working together towards something you don't even actually understand what you're trying to work t- together towards or how to get there. There's no way to build a strategy for that. So the entire thing is random. There's nothing fun about that. There's nothing rewarding about that. There's nothing you can do on your own. You're like, well, I accomplished this on my playthrough. It's like, no. We're all going to do random stuff together and see if we end up in the place we're supposed to at the end of the game. And most of the time, that is not playing that game anymore. So, uh, those pesky garden gnomes was our. F- I'm just going to say it. It was our first burn. I think it was it's possible. And it it was like a universal despisal. Yeah, like it was pretty. Bad. People at the table with us were like, "You guys have to burn this on your podcast." <laughs> <laughs> We're like, gladly, we will do that. Um, like, whatever you do, burn it. Burn it for us. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. It's, it's it's long gone. No one thinks of this game anymore except for us when, oh it, when this God. topic comes up. But it's it's terrible. If it pops up the table and you're like, what is that? Try to remember that what we said. It is random nonsense. It will waste 30 minutes of your life. Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know if I can finish this episode, Anthony. It's I know, it's exhausting. It's really bad. I don't like talking about really bad games. And we used to play a lot of really bad games, and now we're just like... I know. A lot of these are old. Yeah, we, we kind of filtered them out. Uh, I, there's there's others, but, you know, yeah. Uh, all right, well, I have to keep doing this. It's, 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 like, it's, it's, it's like being Dumbledore in the, the Harry Potter one where he's got to drink the poison water. And he's like, Harry, no matter what happens, no matter what I say, you must make me keep drinking. So that's kind of makes kind of feel like that right now. Just yeah, yeah, we yeah, keep drinking. Chris. No, I don't want to drink anymore. Don't make me do this. Uh, so yeah, this is this is another terrible game that I don't want to talk about because it's bad and it's bad for so many reasons. But in particular, um, it's bad because it doesn't need you to play the game. Uh, this is Flip City. No, it's bad. Uh, Flip City uh, was a game from Tasty Minstrel Game. Um, maybe it's the reason why that poor publisher closed. Uh, it's a game oh, where... Brutal. Yeah, no, I, I, I could see it because it was a very expensive game. This was also a review copy. And it was it had some really nice, cute little artwork. And the whole premise of the game was you were building a tableau 
without having a hand. So basically your deck was what you would be drawing. And generally, um, you don't do much of anything in the game. You just decide, yeah, I want to put the card out. I don't want to put the card out. And there are cards that help you build a city, but there are also cards that um, shut you down hardcore. And you don't have any say or anything because it's the deck. The deck does a thing. Um, And that's pretty much it. There's turns where you don't do anything, many terms like that. And that's always a bad thing about a game when you just don't do anything. And the fact that you don't really make any decisions is problematic as well. And it was just really a, it was just an unfortunate, terrible time at the table. And again, it would have been nice if this worked. Uh, I would have appreciated it because again, love tableau building, love city building. And the fact that it just did not work doesn't make much sense, but it is so bad. Um, that unfortunately, it got a burn. The, the game is just, it's one-dimensional. Um, I don't know. It's multiple rounds where you do nothing. It's so, and for me, that's not a game. It's just not a game. Right. Yeah. Flip City. Flip it off a cliff. All right. I'm just saying. Just flip it off a cliff. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. Um, my next one is Dragon Ball Z Perfect Cell. Oh. Uh, I'm a huge Dragon Ball Z fan. This was the thing that I would run home from school to watch for many years um, off and on, depending on who was publishing it and when. And there aren't a lot of board games around this theme. There's really not much of anything, honestly. And so when this was announced, I was like, great, I'm on board. IDW hit or miss, but it can't be that bad, right? And it turned out I was wrong. It can be that bad. And it was that bad. So it's it's a dice rolling game. You're rolling dice to build up energy to do things. So there's like custom icons and you're trying to allocate those dice and use them to perform attacks and stuff. Um, it's cooperative on top of all that. And then you're trying to face down against Cell, which if you've watched the show, Cell was like the main bad guy of the third arc. So like episodes 150 through 250 or so. So like up there towards the, the middle later half of the of the show. Um. And so the the game just kind of like it's there's this whole quadrant of games that are just like cheap, kind of lame cooperative experiences where you're like you do a bunch of very bland actions and then the bad guy gets stronger or the the threat gets stronger and then punches all of you really strong. Right. And it's kind of random. Sometimes they just knocks one of you out and then the game is over. Right. And that's what the game is. Right. And that's it's built on this pandemic formula. But pandemic does it in an interesting way that develops and builds and helps you learn. This one's just like, hey, random. And now you're out uh, or hey, random. And now you're really strong and you win. Um, and there's not really ways to adjust difficulty or to make the game more interesting or to build up or to have other things in it. So, like, there's a lot of things I wish this game did that it doesn't do, like give us other villains, give us other ways to build our teams, give us other ways to mitigate damage. And none of that's there. It's just they got the Dragon Ball Z license. They made the simplest, most just direct nothing of a game they could think of. And I did not enjoy it at all. And the fact that I was excited for a Dragon Ball Z game at all made it worse. And the fact that we haven't gotten another one since made it even more bad. Like looking back on this now, it's even more infuriating because 
it's a good theme that you could do cool stuff with. It's a bunch of big, strong people throwing fireballs at each other. And and now we're now we don't get it because of this terrible game and people are like, oh, nobody will buy those. I'm like, no, nobody will buy bad games. That's that's what the problem is. So Dragon Ball Z, perfect sell. Just deeply disappointing as an IP game, as a game game, um, as a cooperative game. It's a burn. Wow. That's it's always amazing when these great IPs, especially in this day and age, not back then, but in this day and age can just produce so such a bad game. Right. Oof. Yeah. All right. Well, a game that I actually played recently, I just remembered and, and dove back in. Uh, this is Ven, V-E-N-N. You do not need to remember it because it's a bad game that came out last year. Uh, this was not a review copy. This was a I went to a party thing. They played this game. And I got stuck playing this game. So, um, yeah, uh, I didn't want to tell the party host, but it was one of the worst games I ever played. Uh, this game was produced by the OP. Um, big company, lots of games. Uh, the game itself, the designer, at least on board Game Geek, the artist, is uncredited. Um, and you know why the artist is uncredited, Anthony? Why is that? Because clearly it's terrible AI artwork. Ah, boo. Yes. So this is a game like many other games you've played before where it's about clue givers. And if, and in this case, it's about weird AI, uncanny valley, strange mixed kind of cards. So I'm sure the designer was like, hey, we need to make these cards so that you can give a number of clues for them, like Mysterium does, right? Mysterium has a number of different things. Mysterium does it well. This is a blob of different AI images on tremendously cheaply produced game. The clue giver is given like 10 cards and they have to be able to figure out how the cards kind of work together in order to place on these colored circles, the, the Venn diagram here. And we've all kind of are familiar with the Venn diagram and how those kind of cards work together. Because the artwork is so weird and obscure, um, it's kind of hard to kind of lay them out in a particular way. And what you're trying to communicate is the key words that you get. Now, you're playing with your team trying to guess, and another player is playing with the other team. Would that have anything to do with each other? They really don't. So on top of the fact that like there's other players playing at the same time, it doesn't really benefit doing anything. Like Word Slam is great for that. Word Slam is all about having those two teams and you can overhear what they're saying, they're guessing, so that helps you. It does not help you here. The clue giver is always befuddled by all of these random things, trying to match them up to the cards, trying to see if that card is just one thing uniquely or multiple things. And again, it's lousy, terrible, bad, boring, long. Uh, it was a terrible party game experience, despite the great company there at the table. Then, uh, uh, do not, do not, do not, dear God, do not play this. Burn, run away, screaming. If you need to call, you know, call a professional like us, and we'll we'll come pick you up because. Just bad on all occasions. Ven, do not play. Don't. <laughs> I I won't. I'm sorry. Jeez. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Um, so my last couple are 
I don't know, hot takey, but I don't think this one's too surprising for anybody. I, I'm not a huge fan of Munchkin. What? And I know this is probably one of our biggest divergences on the podcast where like this game is a burn for me and I, I think you love it. You want a bunch of stuff? Like uh, maybe. Um, I don't know. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, that my, my thing with this game and I've played it a, a few times because people bring it out and they want to play it and it's cute. And honestly, I will say it this way. The first like 30, 40 minutes of this game, I'm often like, that was fine. I had fun, right? Like you're building up your stuff. You're finding things in the, in the dungeon. You're getting these cool cards. They're fun to look at. They're funny. The last 45 minutes of this game, every time is an interminable slog where you're just, all it is, is okay. Who's close to winning. Okay. Everybody throw everything you have at them. Okay. Now you're close to winning. All right. Let's keep throwing <laughs> your stuff at them. Yes. Now you're close to winning. Oh, we're all out of stuff. You win. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. That was fun. Did we have fun right there? Uh, no, oh. nobody had fun. Yes, <laughs> it's a trick. I tricked you. Um, and it's just like it, that letdown. And I think that's the reason I keep playing the game. Is I'm like, well, the first half of the game is kind of yeah. fun. And the theme is fun uh-huh. and the artwork is fun. And then the, the end of the game is terrible. It is. Just absolutely interminable. Totally agree. Uh, I don't know how they can't fix that. Like, figure out a way to fix that. Apocalypse. You're going to make 600 versions of the Apoc- game. Munchkin Apocalypse fixes it because whoever has the most stuff wins or gets a toilet paper card or whatever um, because it's the apocalypse. Seven seals open. But that's a bad theme. That's a bad. I didn't theme. say it was a good theme. I just say how it oh, actually okay, ends. The game actually ends yeah, on on a, a cool. separate condition, so you don't have to deal with that. Yeah. yeah. So that's basically it. I don't like. I don't like where it doesn't feel like any. It doesn't feel like anything I do in this game matters. I feel like everything's kind of guiding you through these various hallways. It's like a, a video game where you're like, oh, pick one of these three paths. You're like, okay, cool, and then you. At the end, if you went back and picked all three, you end up at the same point. Mm-hmm. That's what Munchkin is. You're, you're going to do whatever you do, and you get whatever cards you get at the end of the game. It's just going to be random to see who is left standing when everybody runs out of cards. And that is super not fun for me. So I, I do, at this point, pretty much avoid this game. But I, ironically, I do have several cards signed by uh, Don Kavalik because he's always at the conventions, and I like the artwork. <laughs> He'll sign anything. Yeah. So... Um, it's a weird one. I, I like the IP. I dislike the game. Sure. Immensely. Yeah. Great artwork, though. Fun artwork. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, we have to keep going, right? <laughs> Couple more, man. Uh, Couple more. Wanna... Almost there. All right. Um, another bad one. <laughs> another game that I never want to play and or talk about and have had to seek, uh, I don't know, therapy for. Um, I don't know. <sighs> All right, this game is called Kaching. Don't know why, but it is. It's called Kaching. Uh, by Game Right Games. Uh, they produce a lot of cool little fun games. So basically, all cards are placed face up on the table. Both players alternate buying one of the five cards sitting on top, with the aim of forming pairs in the same color to resell as lucratively as possible. Um. Here's the problem. Uh, you do the math, of course, and see see you only have about two choices. And once you make that those one of those choices, the game plays out all by itself. Period. It's what it's like when you play solitaire on the computer and you you drop the last 
ace and it starts doing the last couple of things because it's it you couldn't do anything else that's this game it it literally has one choice and then that's it then just everything follows as it would because numbers are numbers and there's just nothing else that you need to be there for like you could literally just be like okay i'm going to start here and then you could get up and leave and the game could play itself um, I really hate games that play themselves because what's the point? Um, ka-ching! With an exclamation point. No! <laughs> I want to make choices <laughs> in games. That's why they're games. Otherwise, they're not games. And this is not a game. And I give it the not a game rating because it's not a game. That's ka-ching. So, I don't know. Do I say? Do I need to say more about that? I probably could. Nah. It's bad. I think I got the gist, man. It's a bad game. It's not a game. It's not a game. <laughs> it's, I don't know. It's, it, I, uh, all right. So, okay. All right. Uh, I got one more. And this is, this is the highest rated game that I've burned. And I don't even know if I ever officially burned it, but I really do hate it. And I think you all know this. Uh, Zaya, Legends of a Drift System. I've played this game now three times because once we never played it. And Chris, you were like, we should play this. And we played it at a convention. I hated that. Twice, I had a friend who was like, well, maybe, you know, that was a bad experience. You should try it again, you know, with people that you would like playing games with. I'm like, sure. Hated that. <laughs> and then three, that same group of friends are like, okay, but the expansion makes the game significantly more interesting and helps kind of give some structure to it. I'm like, cool. I will try one more time. Hated that. So I, I don't know if it's just like I hate sandbox games. It could be. I've only played a couple, but I, I didn't dislike the other as much as I disliked this one. And the reason I think I dislike this game so much is that it really is like you can do whatever you want. It's wide open. And all it is is like there's 400 sets of rules and potential things you could do that are related to what you choose to do. In a video game, that's fun because the game takes care of all the tracking, all the stuff in the background. You don't have to know all the rules. You just have to know how the game's going to react to your actions. In a board game, it's not fun because if you don't remember all that nonsense or if the people teaching the game aren't paying attention, then you fly into the sun repeatedly <laughs> and explode. Why? <laughs> I, I, and, you know, people are like, well, you don't have to fly into the sun. You can do this or this and this. I'm like, yeah, but that's like eight actions, which is like an hour and a half oh, boy. of me flying around the sun and not doing anything interesting because you keep blowing up. Wow. It's not fun. I was there for that game. Um, yeah. yeah, it was terrible. It was one of the worst gaming experiences I've ever had. After like a really good day where I won everything I played. I think I won that game. Uh, Didn't so, I win that game? I Yeah, that sounds <laughs> right. <laughs> it sounds right. <laughs> yeah. But And that was like one of the worst teachers I've ever had too. So it's like why I've played it again since. Yes. I'm like, maybe it was just the teach. I'm like, it was the teach, but also the game. I don't like the game. Yeah. Um, there's no, like the... On BGG, the publisher says, there is no set direction to play. Players can choose to be whatever they want. Traders, pirates, workers, miners. Up. That's not fun for me. <laughs> give me a structure. Give me a direction. Give me something. It doesn't feel like a game if there's no structure to it. It feels like an activity where we're all sitting around talking and things are happening on the board between us. And it happens to be five hours long. So I will never play this again. Because I've played it three times in three different ways and had a miserable time all three times. And I now know this is partially a me thing. 
Like if you're listening, like, but I like Zaya. Well, like, well, that's good. It's a good game to a lot of people. I hate it. And I will honestly, I will avoid all sandbox games. If it says sandbox on the box, I'm like, I'm not playing that. I just can't because I must hate them because based on this, I, it's every now and then there's a game you hate and you're just like, everybody else likes this though. There's something wrong with me. It's like, nope, it's not necessarily. You just really hate this type of game. And that's Zaya Legends of a Drift System Ouch. for me. Well, my last game, thankfully, uh, we could do more, but I think I need to, you know, vomit. Um, <laughs> just it's it's been a bad time. Uh, this is Nacho Pile. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, from Panasaurus Games, also a review copy. Uh, we kind of were worried about this game because it looks like a a Doritos bag, and it's kind of small, yeah. like a Doritos bag, and the the plastic yep. chips are kind of Dorito size and mm-hmm. it seemed like a mistake because like kids could clearly choke on these because why wouldn't you think they look like nacho chips and everything just again I get it it's fun yay you know but then it, obviously people <laughs> die and that's a problem um, that's not why I burned it um, it's a good reason to burn the game because obviously problems right uh, right I'm just going to just read this to you. I, I have my own feelings about the whole thing. Okay. So on your turn, you'll reach into the bag. So your nacho cheap bag, which is very small and the pieces are very small too. Uh, continue to do this until you either bust or stop. You bust if you pull out a chip that is identical in number uh, to another chip you pulled out this turn. Okay. If that happens, again, this is 100% random. There's no strategy. There's no tactics here. You're pulling out of a bag, random things. If you get a double number, you have to put all the chips that you tried to get back in the bag. So there is not a game, okay? There's nothing. You're not making any choices or any decisions. You're just literally randomly pulling from a bag, two numbers, bust, okay? You could say it's a press your luck game. So, okay, so let's say you do. So let's say you stop. You do one or two numbers and you stop because you want those. You place them in front of you, and then you take the chips from other players that have the same number. So if another player was fortunate enough to stop before they busted and they got two or three chips, if you have the same number, you get their chips. So not only are you not playing, it's just random luck or dumb luck, but now someone's taking your random or dumb luck because they had random or dumb luck too. You keep doing that. You keep doing that to the game. How does a game like that get published, man? How does a game like that get published? Uh, You know, I don't know. So then any chips that remain in front of you by the beginning of your next turn are placed onto your plate and then are safe from being stolen because, you know, reasons. And then there's some special chips that go along into it, too. Um, This is not a good game, again, for safety reasons, of course. But it's also not a good game because you're not making choices. Uh, chips are available to be stolen as, until the round comes to an end. And if again, it's all luck. It's all random. Um, again, thank you, Pandasaurus, for allowing us to play the game um, for the review copy. Because that was very nice of you. Because you did not know that we would burn it, burn it, burn it. Dear God, burn it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah. So um, oftentimes we, you know. Games are like we have such a love and affection for games, even when they're bad. 
you know, we could not think about parting with them or even trading them or selling them. We were just not in that kind of mindset. Uh, this is a game that got just actually went into the garbage. Um, because again, safety reasons, problematic things, and also like literally be one of the worst games ever. So Nacho <laughs> Pile. Uh, that's yeah that's uh that's rare form man like yeah is it so you could have burned it but you know environmentally conscious we're not gonna burn burn yeah in the trash in the trash i want to say i recycled it because it's mostly all plastic I, I think it's all kind of but um i don't remember and i'm trying not to remember so stop making me remember bad games man this was a bad all idea right. whose idea was this anyway uh, you put it on the spreadsheet, man. I don't know. Oh, that's my <laughs> idea. Bad idea, Chris. What the heck, man? Oh, uh, well, we've got it all out. We've purged all the negative energy <laughs> for the year. This is 10 years worth of negative energy. It's gone now. All positivity going forward. Wow. The BJ Awards last week did not prepare me for this. I thought it was going to be enough buffer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everyone. Uh, again, do not play burn games. They are bad. And we want you to play the best games possible. So again... Check back to last week's episode and revel in the great games from 2022. Uh, Obviously, more great games to come and more great times to have at the table. So until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you all a seat at the table. But not with these games. Absolutely not with these games. Not a single one of them. Take care, everyone. Bye.